Well, this morning I'm going to share a few thoughts with you. I'm just calling Adventures with God. Adventures with God. I don't know about you, but I love an adventure. I, I, I love the outdoors, you know, in certain quantities. <laughs> I don't, don't want to move outside or anything, but I like the outdoors. I like the feeling of the wind in my face. This summer, uh, I have a 15-year-old and an 11-year-old, two boys. And so this summer, we decided we're going to take this father-son trip, and we're going to go rafting and, uh, you know, just go get outdoors and do stuff. My wife went with us on that trip last year, and she claimed she'd never go again. So we went all by ourselves. You know, I didn't know how we could make it with just the three of us, but we went all by ourselves, and we stayed in a hotel I'd never stay in if my wife was with us. This ratty little hotel, and you know, we ate bad food, and we decided that we're going to raft. And so we go to the Hawassi River in Tennessee. We get there, and and we get in the get in the raft. We each have our own little canoe, a kayak, whatever, whatever it is. So we get in there in the little boats, and we're going down the river. And I'm out there, you know, we're like making Tarzan noises. You know, we're just one step off of Neanderthals. We're out there making noises and throwing water on each other and screaming. It's an absolute blast. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, we see this little, um, little block of rocks right there in the middle, you know, a little patch of rocks in the middle river. And we go, you know, if you're with boys, they want to get out of the boat. They don't want to just spend the whole time looking at the river. We could do this on the internet, right? We want to get in. And so we get on those little rocks and we're sitting there and all of a sudden as we're standing there on those rocks, this big old wave of dark clouds blows in and you can feel the wind starting to blow and you're like, ooh, I'm not supposed to be cold in July, you know, and then all of a sudden it starts to rain and when I say rain, I mean torrential subtropical downpour. God, it's just raining and lightning is starting to strike and you know, we're in a five and a half mile trip and we're in about a half mile in and there's nowhere to go. You can't go back. And we're looking over at the bank, and there's nobody over there. It's big, long. I mean, the river, the river's at least as wide as this room. No, it's, prob- it's, probably, it's probably two times this wide. I mean, it's very, very wide. Nowhere to go. And we're just threw our little boats up on the rock. We're sitting there, and we are literally freezing. I'm talking about freezing goosebumps on every part of our body, freezing, pouring down rain cold. And, you know, they're looking at me almost as if to say, maybe mom was right, you know. <laughs> And we're standing there, and all of a sudden, I get around behind. There's a little tree. I mean, it's maybe, when I say little, it's maybe eight feet tall. Little tree. And we go, do we stand by it, get lightning struck? Do we, you know, what do we do? And there's bushes around it. So we kind of get behind it and, and realize we're sheltered from the wind. And so we get there, and they just, I'm the biggest one, so they attach to me, and we just huddle like this, and we're shaking. And we're shaking, and we're just staring. We're watching cars go by. Hey, what if they could see us? You know, they're way over there. Hey, we're having woo, woo, it's fun, woo. It's great, and and we're just freezing to death. And, and one of my sons is really skinny, and I mean, I thought he's going to die. I thought he's going to go to hypothermic shock. And we're sitting there freezing, and in about half hour, I don't know if you've ever stood in the rain for a half hour. It's a long week. And the rain finally starts to pull off, and, and the wind kind of dies down. We, we muster up the courage to get back in our little rafts, little canoes and kayaks there. And uh, all of a sudden, we start peeling off the rock one at a time. And we fire off there, and we fire off there. 
And then one of my boys comes off last, and, and uh, we lost one of the canoes. And he's standing on a rock like this. Hey! And the, it's been raining, so the water's moving fast. And I'm just Hawaii 5 0 it as much as I can. And I am not moving. I'm just like, nothing's moving. I, I, I'm going, I can't come. And then the other son shot down river back that way, and I can't see him around the corner. We get separated. We lose a canoe. I'm banked up on another rock. He's way up there. All of a sudden, his canoe comes down. I save his canoe. So then he's got to walk 150 yards, like a football field and a half. He's got to walk down the river, and the water's like 54 year-round. It's freezing, and he he comes down there, finally gets to the rock that I'm banked up on like this, and the water's coming at me so strong, I can't move. I'm holding his canoe on top of my body. I'm like a canoe sandwich. I got one on by one. I say, hey, I can't, I'm coming, you know, but I'm not moving. And then, and then he gets down to me, and, and, he, and he goes to get up on the rock and slips and lets the oar go. Oh. So we got the canoe, but we lost the oar. You ever try to paddle a, a kayak without an oar? And so, so then we got to unstick. So he finally gets up and starts to warm up. And our other, he's way down there screaming, Dad! So we get down there off, and one of them's crying, and I don't want to do this no more. (laughs) No way off, buddy. Suck it up. We're going downstream. That's all we got. And we get in the boats, and then I figure out how to tie one of them to the other one, and I'm the only one paddling. Have you ever tried to paddle a kayak with one tied to the back going down rapids? You jackknife down like this. (laughs) And so finally we figured out we put two in one, and... You know, we got down the river, and then the sun started to come out, and we found a little island we could jump off of and swim, and ended up having a good time, eventually. Being suckers for punishment, we decided that wasn't enough river action. So the next day, we decided to go tubing, thinking that the paddle was the problem. And so we go to another river, we go to tube, and we got these big tubes. All of a sudden, clouds come out, we went, oh, no. This can't possibly happen again. We're out on the Tacoa River, and we're going down, and we, we there's this big rapids coming, and all of a sudden I hit it. And then, and then, I don't know if you've ever been in a river and had this feeling, but when you go over the rapid, you know, wee, you kind of go like a little ride, but then all of a sudden you start to go backwards, that is not a good thing. I came off that rapid and got sucked back into a vortex. And my, ra- my little tube is right there, and the water's just popping the back of it. I'm going like that. Whoa, easy. Hey, just popping like that. And I'm thinking, I- I'm paddling. You know, you're chopping with your hand. You only get, like, barely your hands off the side. You're chopping. You look like a broke duck. You're chopping, trying to get off there. It's stuck, you know, whoa. And I-, I turn it and turn it, and I can't move. All of a sudden, the water hit the back end of that, of that tube, and it flipped up like that. And I didn't have enough sense, or maybe it happened too fast, however you want to call it. I went, ah! And I didn't have enough sense to close my mouth, so I drank half the river. I said, oh! I went into the river with my mouth open. And then all of a sudden realized in my disorientation that I was rapidly plunging to the bottom, stuck my hands up by my face quick enough to keep a rock from hitting me in the head. And then all of a sudden I pop up like a fishing cork. (laughs) You know, because I just drank half the river. 
And, and you know, there's nothing like almost dying to make you realize you're having a good adventure. You know what I'm saying? To be fair, the water was only three feet deep there, and I could just stand up. <laughs> but it didn't feel that way at the time. It felt bad. It felt bad. It felt like we were going to die, or at least I was. I love an adventure. I like going to new places and seeing new things. I like stories about people in history who have taken risk. I'm a sucker for true, true story sports movies. Man, I, I, I love them. And at the end, when they say based on a true story, man, to me, it's like it happened exactly that way. I like movies where an average guy or a superhero with superpowers, it really doesn't matter, saves the world or saves the universe, whatever, it's all good to me. Apparently, I'm not alone in my love of adventure. I looked at the top 20 movies of 2013, and I'm not recommending that you watch these. Some of these are okay. But I looked at them, and look at the movies that are at the top of the box office in 2013. Iron Man 3, Man of Steel, Fast and Furious 6. <laughs> Can you make six of anything anymore? Oz the Great and Powerful, Star Trek Into Darkness, World War Z, The Wolverine, G.I. Joe Retaliation, and Epic. Man, I don't think I'm alone in my love of adventure. And you know, I believe that God leads us on adventures in our life. And I believe that following God is a lot like being in a river. You don't really know what's going to happen next. You're just following. That's a good picture. You don't know what's around the next bend. You don't know when the next rapid's coming. You don't know the rock formation or the bottom of the water. You don't know when it's going to rain. You don't know exactly which chute you should hit. You don't know how cold it is till you get in it. You don't know much. You just know you're following. And God leads us on adventures in our life. If you've got a pen, I want you to jot down a few thoughts this morning. I'm going to give you three things that we learn when we go on an adventure with God. Three things we learn from a God adventure. Here's the first one. Don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise small beginnings. Most of the great things that God has done on the earth, that's a big statement, have started small. There's this carpenter from Nazareth. <laughs> Can anything good come from there? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't the Messiah come from Rome or Jerusalem at least, or somewhere important? Joseph is the last in the birth order of his family, and he becomes second in command in a foreign nation, and he becomes the resource that Israel needed to survive a massive historic famine. Most of the greatest things that God has ever done on the earth started small. Look at the disciples that he chose. He used a donkey. Look at, the, look at the things that he's chosen to use, the foolish things the Bible says to confound the wise. Jesus tells a parable in the New Testament about a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. It's planted. You can barely see it. I don't know if you've ever held a mustard seed in your hand. It, it, is, it is very small. It looks almost like a speck in your hand. You plant it, and according to the parable Jesus tells, it becomes great and mighty, 
such is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts small, but then it makes a big impact. That's the way that God does the work that he does on earth. King David certainly fit that profile. David had at least six other brothers, maybe seven, just like Joseph. He was the baby. He was the youngest. And so much so that when Samuel came to anoint the next king from his father's house, his dad almost forgot to mention him. Read this story in 1 Samuel 16. Are these all the sons you have? I thought you showed me all your sons. Well, there is one more. But he's the baby. He's little. He's out, you know, tending the sheep. I don't know if you can imagine in a house of seven or eight boys, pecking order must have been very important, right? Any of you have younger brothers? Any, anybody here have younger brothers? You don't have to raise your hand. Do you ever put them in their place? <laughs> yes, right? You had to maintain the authority line, right? Pecking order. And I can imagine it was no different then. Tending the sheep must have been something that David was stuck with because his six or seven older brothers didn't want to do it or they could make him do it. But David, listen to me for a minute this morning. David had no idea. David had no idea when he was watching the sheep that he was in training to watch over a nation. Now that's the deal. God leads us in adventures and we don't even have to know we're on the adventure to be on the adventure. God is working inside of our life all the time to bring about his kingdom and the way he starts is small. The way he begins something is small. Later in David's life, um, he was chosen to be the next king. Samuel the prophet anoints him to be the next king. And then he gets this assignment where he's going to have to go and work with King Saul. Now, the Bible tells us about King Saul. By this point, God had rejected Saul as king because of his rebellion and disobedience. Saul had grown dark. He had grown arrogant and prideful. And the Bible says that an evil spirit would come and torment Saul. So they looked for a musician. One of the guys had an idea. If we could find a musician to come in and play music, maybe it'll calm him down when the evil... I didn't know how that works, how the evil spirit's coming to torment him. So David was the one they picked. When Saul was being tormented, David, they would call David. He would come in the room. He would strum a harp and play the harp so he would try to calm Saul down. Now, I don't know if you can see the picture through David's eyes. I'm the last of my brothers... They've been picking on me all my life. I'm the youngest. I'm the smallest. But I got picked to be king. Here's my chance to show them. <laughs> and what's my first assignment? I got to play the harp for the king. Now, in some ways, that may be considered an honor the first time you do it. But can you imagine as the days went on and went on and went on and this began to be repeated, can you imagine there had to be times when David is in there playing the harp for the king and he has to say in his mind, I don't want to do this anymore. What good is this? I am playing this harp for this neurotic, demonized old man and he's not getting any better. Why do I waste my time? 
Why do I have to do this? God, I thought that you wanted me to be king. I thought that you had great things for me to do. Why why is this happening? I want to do something important. You ever feel that way? God, why am I doing the mundane? Why am I doing the Monday to Friday grind? When is something important going to happen? When is something big going to happen? When are you going to use me to do something incredible? When when am I going to find out why you put me on earth? But here David is, strumming away, strumming away. He had to have an inner conflict at times about this. But do you know who in the Bible wrote most of the Psalms? David. Where do you think he learned them? Playing the harp for a demonized, tormented old king. Strumming away. I bet he learned some of them when he was strumming away that harp when he thought he was doing something that didn't matter. David's saying, when are you going to use me to do something important? God is saying, what you're doing is important because you're training to do something important. Do not despise small beginnings. Do not despise small beginnings. I can remember um, when I was, uh, my wife and I moved to Florida And I can remember the man that was the pastor of the church that hired us had been youth pastor at that church for about eight years. And then the pastor retired and he became the pastor and had been there about a year and a half when we got there. And I watched, he had gone through some really difficult times in ministry and life. And as I watched the struggle of what he went through, the pastor had been there 29 years And as I watched the struggle that he went through and how hard it was to to fill somebody else's shoes, how hard it was to stand in somebody else's place, how hard it was to make that leadership transition, I backed up. We spent six years there, and I backed up there, and I said, man, I don't ever want to do that. That looks complicated. And, And how hard he had to work, how deeply he had to think and pray and try to move the church forward and try to become who God made him to be and all of that. It's a very complicated process to make a leadership change inside a church. And um, I can remember backing up from that and going, I'll tell you what, when, when, when our time came to move and God was calling us to do something else, we said, we, just, we really think that we want to go plant a church, start a new church, because that's complicated. <laughs> we don't want to fool with that. And sure enough, uh, God led us to uh, a place called Gulfport, Mississippi, where the pastor had been in relationship with the people he was pastoring for uh, 40 years. And he was uh, 69 and I was 29. And then not only did I watch my pastor in Florida go through this, I took on the role of assistant pastor and worked inside that whole transition myself and then became senior pastor there and pastored there in Mississippi eight years. And then in 2009, moved here. And if you're a guest today, or maybe you're new to Kingwood, the pastor that I followed here is my father-in-law who pastored 35 years here. And so my whole life has turned out in a way I never could have foresaw. But some of the days that were hard, some of the days that were long, some of the days were, that, that were mundane, some of the things that looked like menial tasks to me then, as I look back on them today, were training for what I'm doing now. 
And I just want to say this to you today. The reason I say don't despise small beginnings because there is a promise and a guarantee. I'll make every person in this room, whether you're 14 or 40 or 64, you are in training today for something. What you're doing today is not just about today. What you're doing right now is not just about right now. And man, you can, get, you can get frustrated with the limit that you face. You can get frustrated with the circumstances and you can misunderstand that sometimes what God is doing that is so important is not what he's doing outside you, it's what he's doing inside you. And he has you where you're at to do that work. Funny thing happened, well not funny, really embarrassing, humiliating thing happened to me this week. I was walking, uh, doing my prayer walk, and I passed this driveway about four driveways down from my house. And as I passed it, I happened to see this little nail sticking up like this, close to the person's drive. It wasn't really close. I, I mean, as you looked at it, I thought, there's no way that the guy could, he's not going to back up. And You know, I'm just walking and doing my thing and praying, and I see the little nail sticking up, and I go, I think, maybe I'll pick that up. And I thought, nah, I, he's not going to run over that. It's not close enough to the driveway. He'd never run over it. And I walked about 10 steps past it, and the Holy Spirit said to me, pick it up. And I thought, he's not going to drive over that. I'm not like saving his tires or anything. And listen, the Holy Spirit says to me, I'm not working on your neighbor's tire. I'm working on your attitude. Pick it up. Yes. <laughs> I'll go pick it up. Don't despise the small things that God asks you to do in your life because they're part of the adventure of following the river of the Holy Spirit that only He knows where it's leading. See, the thing is, you don't even know what you're being trained for when you're being trained. So you don't even know how to be trained right. Right? How many of you have ever ended up in situations you didn't think you'd end up in? Ever? Hello? Did God know it? Yeah. Did he try to prepare you ahead of time? Like, yes. See how that works? But since we don't know, then we have to depend on the work of the Holy Spirit. God is training you right now for something. David had no idea when he watched those sheep or played that harp that he would one day be Israel's greatest king and he would one day be the greatest songwriter in the entire Scripture. But he, but he stuck to it. Don't despise small beginnings. Here's the second thing that we learn when we go on a God adventure. Don't neglect what you know to do because you don't know everything to do. Don't you find in our age, the internet age, the quick access, quick information, man, you can Google almost anything. And it has given us this uh, mentality that we don't necessarily move forward unless we have what we perceive as all of the information or all of the facts or whatever. But I think one of the things that can cripple us in our spirit is that we neglect to do the things we know to do because we're waiting until we know more. We're waiting until we know everything. When God called Abraham, he only gave him the first step. I want you to think about this story this morning. Maybe you already know it, but I want you to think about it fresh. In Genesis 12, 1, God called Abraham to take a step in his life. He said, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
Here's what just happened. God said to Abraham, I'm calling you. It's time for change. It's time for you to do something. Here's step one. Leave your house, your extended family, and your country. Step two. I'll tell you that one once you do step one. I don't know how that sounds to your ears. How would you like for God to speak to you today and say, my plan for you is for you to quit your job. My plan for you is for you to sell your house. My plan for you is to leave your family, your neighborhood, your community, pack up what you got left and can't sell on Craigslist and drive to the state line of Alabama. And when you get there, I'll tell you what to do next. That's how it must have, God's call for his life wasn't to a place. God's call for his life was to leave. Get out, leave, go, let go. Wow. I don't know if you can feel how difficult that might have been. By the way, Abraham at this point was 75 years old. If you hadn't left your parents' house by 75, how many of you think you're probably not going? 75 years old. He's there with mama. He ain't going anywhere. The Bible says he asked him to leave his father's household. At any age, it must be a hard thing to do. I think we still struggle with it. We, we, when we know to do something, we tend to wait until we know more before we act. So many times we're waiting on direction or more information or more understanding. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What about what you already know? What about what you already know? What about what God has already made plain to you in the Bible? What about what God has already made clear to you in your life by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit? What about the things that have become obvious to you? He could, he could have said, look, I'll seek God, and when I know more, when I know where I'm going, then I'll leave. He didn't. Loaded up his stuff, and he moved to Beverly. He headed out. Maybe you've come to church this morning... And you don't know everything. I didn't, it's not really important that you know everything. What I want to ask you this morning is, is what do you know? What do you already know? What's already clear in your heart about God and about your life and about what you should be doing and about, and about what the next step for your life is? So I, I, don't, I don't know how this will be resolved in your life. And maybe you say, I don't know the future and I don't know what to do next. But in the meantime, stay close to Jesus' family. In the meantime, keep worshiping, keep praying, keep reading your Bible, keep sharing your faith, keep keep doing what you know God put on your heart. Isn't, Isn't one of the hardest things to deal with in your life when you have something in your life that's unresolved? Some big tension, some big conflict, some big frustration, some decision that you have to make. Don't, don't, isn't that frustrating? It very frustrates me when I've got some giant decision to make and I just don't know what to do. It frustrates me. Does it frustrate you? Am I the only one? You have a big giant and you go, man, and have, you, have you ever thought this in your heart? Maybe you ever said, oh, God, if you would just tell me what to do, I would leave tread marks out of my driveway doing it. Just tell me. But that's not how the relationship works all the time. God won't always tell you. And sometimes that not knowing distracts you from what you already know. Do what you already know 
to do. You may say this morning, I don't know where I'm going. All I know is I'm here. That's a great step. That's a great step. That means you did what you know to do. When, uh, when uh, our family lived in Florida, um, I remember somebody, there's a junior college there, and there's a um, college Bible study or something, uh, one of the clubs that they had on the campus. And somebody asked me, we were there six years, and I don't remember ever going to the campus for anything. But I remember one time, uh, and I don't even remember who invited me. Somebody invited me, hey, there's the student union, old Christian club, would you come and do a devotional? Okay, I went over to do a devotional. So I go to the little club to do a devotional. There's about 15 people in the room. I'm there. Our youth group needed uh, a lot of help in our, in our worship band because I don't, I don't sing or play anything but the CD player, and that doesn't work too well for long. So I'm there. I do the devotional, and I have no idea. I just felt led to do this. I, I don't remember ever doing this any other point in my life. I'm standing and looking at total strangers, and I said, you know, we're trying to put together a worship team in our youth group, and if there's anybody here, you know, that's an interest to you, you'd like to do that, uh, I'd like to talk to you. And we just let it go. And this big guy, about six foot seven, just hung around at the end. He came over, he goes, hey, you know what you were talking about? He goes, man, I, I just can't really find what God wants me to do in my life, but, but I know how to play instruments, I know how to do stuff, and he said, man, you mind if I come check it out? And so this guy's name was William. William's a single college guy. So William comes to our youth group. He checks it out. Over time, he ends up becoming our worship team leader. He ends up being a phenomenal musician that can play everything. That guy, I've watched the guy lead worship from the drums. I mean, he can, he's, this guy's on another level. And somebody as untalented um, as I am in, in instruments, it's still impressive to me to watch a guy lead worship from the drums. And William, as he continued to grow in God, he ended up meeting a young lady. They got married. They had a little boy. Uh, uh, they ended up leading in our youth group for about four years. When we left, a couple years later, the church brought them on. They ended up being the worship pastor at the church for about, I don't know, six or eight years. And now his wife has recorded an album uh, Crystal Yates, she's recorded her own album, and they live in Dallas, Texas, and he's a worship pastor of a church, about seven or eight hundred. And that all started from a little Bible study for a guy going, I don't know what to do, I don't know where I'm supposed to go, so I'll go with 14 other people to the Bible club at my junior college. How many of you know God's got a plan for your life he knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you've been through. And he knows what he wants to do in your life next. And if you follow him, if you follow him, don't let what you don't know to do to keep you from doing what you do know to do. Follow him. Don't despise small beginnings. Don't neglect what you know to do because you don't know everything. I'm going to ask our worship team to come this morning. My heart has been so burdened. This thought has been in the back of my mind um, for at least a month. And I just I believe that there are people here 
in this room that you know what to do and you've been waiting. I can't tell you what to do. I don't know what the next step in your life necessarily is. But the Holy Spirit knows. And, and I, I believe there are people in this room that God's been saying to you, you've been feeling this. Maybe you don't recognize it as His voice, but He's been dealing inside your heart and saying, stop, stop doing this. Or He's been saying, I want you to do this. And you know what it is. But you, you're waiting Maybe you're waiting to know more. Maybe you're waiting for clarity. Maybe, maybe you're just wrestling. But I, I believe that this service this morning is a, is a divinely appointed moment where God wants to reach into your heart and he wants, to, he wants to help you do that thing or not do that thing. He wants to help you to do what you know to do. And then, and then maybe there are those of you here, I felt this at points in my life where, where it was, I was distracted from what I knew to do because I didn't know what the next thing was. I didn't know, I didn't know, I, I felt like I knew what God wanted to do, but I didn't know how to go from A to B. I didn't know how to do it. And the reason that matters is because many times God won't tell you how to do it. He'll just tell you to, to trust Him, to obey Him, to wait on Him, to lean on Him. And maybe you're here this morning and you just need, you need the Holy Spirit to confirm for you what you're supposed to do because it's not clear. I mean, there's times in my life I've heard God say to me, wait. I've heard God say to me, rest. I've heard, I've heard God say to me, trust me. And boy, that's a tough one. What do I do? What do I do while I'm trusting? That's it. You don't know what's around the next bend. You don't know how many rocks are in the bottom of the river. You don't know how fast it's going to pick up. You don't know how slow it's going to go. You don't know when the sun's going to come out. You don't know when the storm's going to come. You don't know any of that. All you know is, is you're in the river. And it's time to follow. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to ask our prayer team to come this morning. I assure you, when David was tending the sheep and he was playing the harp, he had no foggy idea that he would write a lot of the book of Psalms and he would be the greatest king in Israel's history. And I guarantee you, when Abraham packed his stuff up and left his father's house at 75 years old, he had no idea where he was going or what it would mean. He knew God told him, you're going to be the father of many nations. Abraham left his country and he became the father of a lot of countries. God's got a plan. I don't know what it is. And he won't always tell us. A lot of times he gives us a big picture. And, and we think it's one step away and it's about 20. We just don't know what any of the steps are. But that's what following the Holy Spirit's about. Would you just close your eyes for a minute? I, I want you to pray this morning. And I want to ask you to, I want to call you to prayer today. You're in this place and you say, I know there are things in my life 
that God wants me to do. You have clarity. There are things you know He wants you to do or want you to not do. I know it's true. And I, I want to ask for prayer this morning. I want to ask God to help me. I want to join with God. I want to join the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to take a step of faith in this morning. And I want to ask God to have His way in me today. Man, this is such a sweet moment. God calls you with such tender affection. He loves you. And He's, he's ready to help you. Every eye closed. That's you this morning. I know. I know it. Would you lift your hand?